Hi, I'm Dr. Barbara Becker Holstein. I am a positive psychologist and I have developed a lot of work around positive psychology as it can be used in the public and with people, ordinary people. So one of the things that I am trying to do during this pandemic is invite in guests where it may be helpful for them to share with the public what their lives are like and what they need in order to help the people they serve. Tonight, we're going to look at some of the issues around long-term care facilities. These are extremely important facilities, as you all know, and uh, they may very much have special issues and um, things that we should understand and consider for the types of work they're doing. So I have two guests tonight. The first guest uh, I'm introducing is Chris Brown. Hi, Chris. Hi, doctor, how are you? Good, I'm fine. I hope you are too. Thank you. Um, she is the Director of Community Outreach and Education. She brings over 25 years of experience in long-term care. Right now, she's overseeing the marketing for both Imperial Healthcare in Neptune and Foothill Acres in Hillsborough. Uh, she will be, I will encourage her to tell more if it's necessary, but I know when you go too long on introducing someone, everyone kind of fades away and I want to get this lively and going. And then we have Linda Mundy. Hi, Linda. And Linda Hi, is the Director of Business Development at the Gardens at Monroe, a five-star subacute rehab and long-term care facility in Middlesex County. Linda has had many opportunities to help families over the years as they navigate the journey of care for their loved ones and their parents. And I think I'll stop there and immediately ask a general question. Could you fill us in a little bit, both of you, about the state of care facilities and the challenges we're facing, particularly in New Jersey, but certainly feel free to go nationwide also. Linda, I'm gonna let you take that one. Okay. I'll let you start. Um, thanks. So, you know, we all, obviously we're all facing all sorts of difficulties in this pandemic is really something we've never seen before. Obviously in a long-term care facility, we have a very fragile, often compromised group of people living in communal areas. They live, they live communally. And this pandemic, the coronavirus, COVID-19, is hitting our elders particularly hard. Most of the deaths that we're seeing are in those elders. As, a, as an industry, long-term care is, is, a, is a funny animal because we're not strictly a medical place. We're a place that we're, we're providing a home. It's supposed to be home-like environment. It's supposed to be a supportive environment, a friendly environment with medical support. We're not a hospital. We weren't intended to be a hospital and we don't work like a hospital. And so we have a large group of people who, who we care for, who we create a home for, who we love, by the way. We know them a long time. 
and at very high risk in a situation where there are a lot of people in and out of the building and a lot of opportunity before we before we actually shut down to visitors recently, there was a lot of opportunity for virus to be brought in. So we were in a position already as this whole thing started of being having the most vulnerable population in a very vulnerable situation that was never really intended to be a strictly clinical situation. And we had a situ- we had this thrown at us in such a way that all of a sudden we had a very, very high level of clinical ability to deal with something that we probably should have had to deal with to start with if it had been handled a little bit differently. Do you want to add anything to Chris to that? Yeah, I, I, you know, Linda is 100% correct. Um, There are a few situations that exist in long term care that really added um, to the difficulty of getting on top of this quickly. Um, One thing is that I, I won't say every, but a very large percentage of skilled nursing facilities have a population of patients that go out for dialysis treatment three times a week. Some patients in the early stages of this were still going out for maybe chemotherapy or radiation. We have some residents that have to have medications administered only in a doctor's office. So, and these patients, those treatments for them obviously were critical, especially a dialysis patient. Without those dialysis treatments, their health is going to deteriorate very quickly. So those patients were going out three times a week to a third-party care provider who I am sure, along with everyone else, was doing everything that we were told to do by both the CDC and the Department of Health. But their regulations are obviously different than that of the skilled nursing facility, just like the skilled nursing facility regulations are different than those of a hospital. And so that really presented a very large challenge. Um, Even if those patients were masked, and monitored for signs and symptoms, we could only go as fast as the regulations were coming at us. And and I just want to qualify that. Our director of nursing really was ahead of this. I think all three of our facilities did a good job of getting on top of it, even maybe before some of those regulations came out. But there was that window when we had the family members stop the visitation. But before we were all told that everyone needed to be masked in the healthcare setting. And because this virus presents itself in such different ways with different people, and on top of that, you can be completely healthy, feel 100% well, but still be shedding this virus actively, it was just an impossible feat to ask nursing facilities, like Linda said, in a communal setting to try to keep this out. And I think we did a really good job for a very long time there, but unfortunately it does find its way into both the skilled nursing facilities and the assisted living facilities. So we're rising to the occasion, but there probably were some other things that could have been done differently. Well, 2020 hindsight is always so perfect. How do you feel uh, things are going at the moment in in New Jersey? I think we're at a point in in New Jersey, I see the hospitals are starting to plateau and and trend downwards. 
but it's important to know that in the healthcare industry, skilled nursing and long-term care is always a lag behind the hospitals. So when you see things start to trend down in the hospital, you're, you're, we're still behind them at least a week, maybe 10 days. And so we're not going to start to see a trend down yet. So we are still seeing cases increasing in the building. We are um, doing everything we can to mitigate those cases by isolating patients. Obviously, there's still no visitors. Everybody in the building is masked. Everyone on the floor wears it at N95. Everyone is gowned. That's why the PPE is so important. We're following very strict guidelines, but we are definitely still seeing increases in our cases. And then therefore in such a vulnerable population in our deaths. And I think something really important that I haven't heard said anywhere is that, yes, we are having deaths in our, in our facilities. However, we have an older population, many, most even of whom have advanced directives that say, if I were to get sick, it would be my choice to be made comfortable and, and die where I am. And so that, you know, this is something that we push for. This is something that, that we encourage is a better way to put it. We encourage families. Let's look at what the goals are. What are the goals of care? And so we set up these goals of care. We have families who have come to a place where they've decided if my loved one were to get sick, I wouldn't want them in an ICU. That group of people is clearly going to have a higher mortality rate than someone who we are actively intubating and, and putting in an ICU. So when we're looking at these numbers, we're really not comparing apples. and We're comparing apples to oranges because if you don't want aggressive care and we're not going to send you for aggressive care, you're clearly not going to get better the way someone who wants that aggressive care might. Very important point. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I wanted to just add to that. You know, again, I think what got a lot of people in our industry a little upset was when the numbers were published, um, maybe about a week and a half ago. And not that there shouldn't be transparency, there should be transparency. But if you're going to put out information, it should be qualified, it should be really vetted and, and explained to people who may not understand all of the data that goes into that. And so there were facilities um, that were openly and willingly admitting COVID-19 patients into their buildings. The hospitals were asking for some help. They were asking for us to help them open beds so that there was more availability for the public when the peak hit. And facilities did do that. And I think that should have just been noted somewhere in those numbers so that those facilities could there would be more of an explanation as to why their numbers may have been higher. So I just feel that when we're putting out data, it should really come with a full explanation and it should not just be thrown out there. You know, it looks scary. All that did, to be honest, was scare family members. It lowered the morale of the staff who were doing, they're doing everything they can. They're, let's, let's remember, there's no cure for this. There's no magic pill yet. There's no vaccine. Everything they're trying right now is really, it's a trial. Right. We're, we're trying different things to see what work. We're keeping in communication with the teams in the hospitals that are fighting this firsthand. We've been in contact with um, a doctor who was on the Robert Wood Johnson, New Brunswick COVID team, and we did everything he told us to, but... It's really, there's, there's no scientific formula for treating this yet. 
So I just staff is getting sick as well. That's yes. an important thing. Our staff is getting ill as well. And and so our staff, it, our staffing numbers are difficult right now. We are doing everything we can to keep our staffing up. But this is an industry-wide issue. This is a national issue. So when our staffing numbers are down, I can't call Imperial and say, you have a nurse who could work 3 to 11 for me because, no, they don't because their nurses are, are getting sick as well. And so the challenges are very great. And these things probably should have been explained if we were going to publish numbers and say, look at what happened. And there are egregious cases, right? But somehow, yeah. somehow the story isn't being told. Like, I, I think I don't want this to be misunderstood, but there was the nursing home in South Jersey where they were found after a holiday weekend to have bodies that hadn't been picked up by the partner. I'm still kind of wondering why the story was the nursing home was hiding bodies. I wouldn't have categorized it that way. I'm not sure what they should have done when someone passed. So the story, so why was the story the nursing home is hiding bodies? Why wasn't the story the coroner didn't have enough people working over the weekend to do their job? I don't I'm and I don't know that whole story either. So before I would publish that story, I would want to know what was that story? What really happened? I know at the gardens at Monroe, we had a death and had to call the nursing home. And it took them a far more extended period of time to get to us than they would have in normal circumstances. And I'm imagining if I was in a huge facility like that, that suddenly had a lot of deaths, what would I do? What would I do if no one could come and get those bodies? Yeah. Why is that the nursing home? Why is you're, that the whole story? You're both bringing up such critical points and it's really too bad for the reputations of the nursing homes because I think there wasn't time to really educate the public as to where you stand with what you normally do and what's now expected of you and bringing in extra people to have fill beds that may already have the virus and all sorts of things you're bringing up, which really complicate a difficult situation in the first place. So right. I'm glad we're speaking about it and I'll try my best to get this little podcast out there and the two of you can also. Um, I wanna make sure I cover some of the things that we're going to also talk about. Um, I think talk a little more about the realistic expectation of what can be done in this type of setting. And um, also we wanna get to what you still may need or what good things have happened, you know, all both sides of the, of the coin, please. And I'll repeat a few needed so when you want to talk a little bit about the levels of care and then i'll talk a little bit about the ppe sure so um typically in a nursing home what you would see are levels of care what we mean by levels of care is in the new Jer in new jersey the license is written in such a way that people who live with us long term is under our license and so do people who maybe are recovering from the hospital there are really two different levels of care we see some people who um, are just with us for a short time to go home and some people who live with us, right? Right now we're not um, 
We're not admitting anyone except the people who live with us and we're taking care of the people who live with us. I'm not exactly sure what, what we're looking for here. I'm sorry. I'm babbling. Oh, that's okay. You weren't babbling. You're defining what, uh, what your, your institutions are like. Okay. Uh, so that's what I asked. So you we typically say. can't, I see. So we typically can't care for someone. We don't typically care for someone who's critical, right? We care for someone typically who's stable, or we care for someone who, after they had to stay in the hospital, is improving, getting rehab and getting help to get stronger to go back to their regular life at home. So we may have some people who have long-term care, disability type things, they need extra help, maybe with their activities of daily living. And those are our long-term care patients. And then we have people who are improving after a hospital stay of some sort and they're going home. What we don't don't normally have is critical people who we're trying to help recover. We may, as I said earlier, they may be people in our building who become critically ill. Typically though, if someone is critically ill and doesn't have an advanced directive that they're going to choose comfort care, those people get sent to the hospital. In the middle of this crisis, that's not what's happening. Um, A couple of our people are out at the hospital. They have to become very critical to be out at the hospital. So instead, we're dealing with an unknown virus in a situation we're looking for cure. And we aren't typically a curative type of environment. We're a living environment, you know, with support. So this is this is a little bit of a challenge for us. And and then because of not typically doing that critical type of care, our nurses emotionally, this is not what they signed on for. They didn't sign on to provide this high le- this level of care that's such high risk to themselves, to their families. Everybody's like, you're a nurse, you signed up for this. Well, I'm not a nurse in an ICU or in an emergency room. I'm a nurse in someone's home that loves to work with older people, to hear their stories, to get to know about them, to become part of their family and support them through the, through the later years of their life. It's, it's a very different setting than the hospital setting. It's really a different expectation from a career point of view. And so because that is not our primary level of care, critical care, intensive care, we are not set up and we were not prepared to provide that level of care. And with such an infectious situation as this one, the personal protective equipment is your strongest line of defense. And we were not ready for this. We had our backup, we are our, you know, our purchasing department, we we had what we needed, but one facility could go through possibly 100 to 150 gowns in a day. And at one point, we were only getting delivered 500 a week. We were putting it together. We were making it work. But we were basically told that the skilled nursing facilities got left out of the supply chain of PPE. We were very creative. A lot of people in our company pulled together to try to find different avenues, whether it was nonprofit organizations. Um, We did some bidding on eBay. We contacted our local... Uh, assemblymen and state legislators, and they really did come through in in whatever way they could. But um, it was actually just today, I will say that our governor put out a statement that he was able to speak with the um, Trump administration and New Jersey was guaranteed, I think it's 200,000 gowns and maybe 
300,000 goggles. So there is more coming, but it it is definitely a little later in the game. I think I'm hoping that the central Jersey facilities are either seeing their, their peak now, or maybe are on the other side of it. So hopefully the worst is a little behind us, but um, you know, this situation changes daily. So we need to make sure that we don't just have PPE for today or for next week or the week after. We need to make sure that skilled nursing facilities and assisted living facilities have the proper equipment for months to come. And I am sure this is going to be something that we have to make sure we have on hand all of the time now. It's something we've learned from this. But um, we probably could have used a little bit more support a little earlier on. You know, Barbara, we we um, we would nor- we take care of people who need isolation, but for us to have three isolation beds out of forty would be about what how many isolation patients we would take care of. So now we have twenty isolation beds out of forty. So we're prepared in the normal course of things to have PPE to take care of three patients in a day, not twenty. Of course, yeah, I'm I'm. The burden is just horrendous. And I imagine psychologically people from the top administrators to the orderlies will have some post-traumatic stress from this because when you put people in situations where they're scared and they're trying to do their best and they don't have always the right equipment and they don't have the skill set It's just a horrendous place to be. I know even when my parents were sick in different ways as they aged, I never felt, you know, here are people I knew my whole life. I never felt competent to do anything beyond serve a meal or sit and hold a hand, you know, because it wasn't my training. So um, the skill set is important. And and you did, you asked about the positives. So of course we want to talk about the positives, not just all the negatives. And thank goodness we're here to be able to say there are so many positives. Um, The first is just that, you know, our staff members, just like you said, from the activity department to the dietary, housekeeping, maintenance, everyone, therapy, just you name it, every piece of it, the social workers, but you know, our nursing staff, they just, they didn't bat an eye. They gown up, they go in there, they do what they're supposed to do. They do it with love. They do it with care. And they really are heroes. If you really are going to talk about this being a war, they have just come through. They have, they have soldiered through all of this. Um, you know, they, they really deserve when they're out there, when this is over, you know, to hear a thank you. They have so, done yes. things that, like Linda said, Yes, you trained for it, but this is not what you'd ever expect. And, and I think so, I think even more than I mean they need all the applause and all the recognition, but I think also people may need to feel totally safe to get various levels of counseling mm-hmm. just like are provided for firefighters, policemen, you know, all sorts of people that go into a situation and they're handling tremendous stress and what they're seeing and doing. And I think if there are programs as people come off of this, that will be helpful too. Yeah, we, you're 100% right. And we, sorry, Linda, we, um, we have a group 
that actually reached out and they are willing to do pro bono sessions for our staff members. We put that out to all three of our facilities and I was able to even give that name to um, a friend who was having some issues. So you're right. That's, that is so important. And I do think the most, the majority of the, of the facilities, I think they will have some level of support for their staff because you are right. There is going to be a, a need to really get some of this out so that they can get to a healthier place yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, wanna... I see that's amazing is I see the way the team members support each other, Barbara, in that everybody is willing to put their own fear and their own aside to support their coworker to say, you know, of course I'm upset, but you are probably more upset because mm -hmm. a lot of that kind of rising above for, for your, for your coworker, for your team member, which makes it so much easier to go to work. Well, I, am, I think that's great, but I'm a psychologist at heart. And I'm thinking, you know, you know how it is, like even when you were in college and you finished a semester or something, or you moved to a new town and you rallied, you packed all the boxes and everything, and then you're in the town and a month later, you're sitting on the couch, you can't move. You know, there's this kind of collapsing that happens mm -hmm. when we're, when we no longer are under the heightened situation. So I'm glad that you're already, you're looking at so many angles and I know it's going to go well for, for your facilities because people like you are top of the chain and that's fabulous. I have two questions I want to ask before we close. Um, I want to ask what um, can an ordinary person do to be helpful to you? Just ordinary people, you know, who are home a lot, all ages, all types. I don't think people necessarily feel comfortable to walk in and drop off pastry. You know, they want to know a little bit how to maneuver in a situation. What are some sure. suggestions? Sure. So I actually just posted something on my personal Facebook page today because I have some of the best friends and the best family and they've been reaching out. You know, they see that we've been posting some of our struggles and that we were, you know, having a little bit of a, of a, we'll say a, ne you know, negative spin from the press there. And that was a little hard to absorb. And so very little things mean so much. I mean, the very first thing is just a card. Uh, every once in a while, we'll come out, there'll be a poster out front or something, you know, a, a lawn sign or just a message uh, in chalk. And it really, it, it brings an instant smile to anyone who sees it. So something as simple as that. If people really want to reach out to their local facilities, we're in masks all day. Gum, gum and lip balm. Those oh, are so important good. right now. You know, to have that mask yeah. on and to breathe yourself for a few hours after a while. So gum is great. Lip balm is great. Lotion, face and hands. Our hands are so beat up. Linda and I are, you know, joking. You practically you wash your hands so much. They're, yeah. It's awful. It's terrible. And, um, yeah. and, and, some, and sometimes socks, an extra pair of socks. You know, it's very, it's, it gets warm and our staff is covered from head to toe in face shield, sometimes triple masks, double gowns. 
it gets warm, you get a little sweaty. So maybe even just a fresh pair of socks. I, I know the hospital nurses really appreciate that. Um, so anything, anything is received with, you know, a lot of gratitude. And if you're afraid to go inside, as I would probably be, how, what, what would I do with this stuff? Can I leave it just in the front of a facility? Just knock on the door. Let us know you're okay. there and somebody will meet you because we're not going to let you in anyway. <laughs> okay. And my other question is for those people, uh, who are in these facilities, I know they can't have their normal visitors. And I'm wondering, um, what are you, how are you managing that? Are you let people come up to the windows or, you know, are there any happy stories about letting a family see a family member? Definitely. We're doing, yeah, we're, we are doing window visits. We're doing FaceTime and Zoom calls and um, we're getting as creative as we can. You know, we're doing whatever works for that family member and that resident, you know, um, not everybody wants is not everybody wants to FaceTime. My mom facility in Ocean County. And when they asked her if she wanted to do, you know, video call, she told them, no, thank you. I know just what they look like. <laughs> you know, but yes, we're doing window visits and we're hoping that as we get into the warmer weather, we may be able to sit outside at a distance from people because, you know, some of this is going to shift a little bit. It just hasn't been warm enough to do that type of thing. Right, right. We had a uh, family come with full birthday cake, gifts, the entire thing. They went to the window. They had a mini birthday party. They sang happy birthday. They asked us if we could light the candle on the cake in the building. We said, no, that would cause a whole nother set of problems in the middle of this. <laughs> but we were able to, you know, fake it. And it was a great birthday party. And the family was happy. The resident was happy. So we're trying to do everything we can to still keep some sense of normalcy. We still have entertainment. Um, our sister facility actually can do a live feed from one facility to our facility so we can see what each other is doing. And, um, and today, uh, our facility in Neptune, actually, we live uh, right next door to an elementary school and uh, the Green Grove Elementary School, along with Neptune Police, OEM, Fire Department, they brought an entire parade through our parking lot to support our staff. So like I said, there is a lot of good being done. The families have been great. Um, Linda and I have both had to make some phone calls to update our families on the situation. And we're both in awe of how supportive and patient and kind and understanding. And when we get off the phone with the family, it's, it's just a, we're praying for you. We hope the staff is okay. We know you're doing everything you can. Beautiful. Well, I think we're about ready to close, but is there anything that either of you want to say as a last word or something that you feel was left out. Thank you. No, I'd like to say thank, thank you, you for your much. support. It's very, I feel like the tide has shifted a little. We really are seeing a lot more support than we were two weeks ago. It's a lot easier to get up in the morning when you're not afraid to look at the news feed and see how are you being maligned yes. today. Yes. So thank you for helping create that support around us. We, it means a lot. Well, it was great being able to have you on the show. I hope the show may be helpful in some way that we were not even imagining because that's the great thing when you reach out, you never know who's catching the ball that's being thrown. And uh, so I thank both of you. Continue to do your great work. 
And until we meet again, goodbye for Thank now. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.